You know, many times, many ways, you know, the holiday period, not, not, not there's anything wrong with holidays at all, nothing wrong with holidays, but you do sense a momentum drop, a drain, I should say, a momentum drain in people as they unplug for the festive or summer holidays. And, and that's natural because people un- unwind. I understand that. But, you know, as a leader, you can't switch off. As a lead, you know, even when David Cameron or, or Barack Obama go on holidays, the country's still being focused, still being read. And, you know, and even when they're on holiday, they're still getting briefed what's going on. So you must never switch off as a, a Christian because God does not go on holiday. But God does give us rest. So last time I spoke to you, we talked, I talked to you about how eternity has been set in our heart. Eternity is so, so, so important. Without eternity, I'm going nowhere. Something has to, something from heaven has come into my life and has turned my life around and has put me on a different path. And because I recognize what has happened and who has done this, I know that my life is moving in a different direction and at a different pace because of the one who's leading it. Something just didn't happen. God happened. As I began to come to the end of my self, my end of my ways, I invited Christ into my life. Christ then stepped into my life and began to start leading my life in a particular direction, just like he has with yours. And that inner child, that inner baby that kicks every now and then, the Christ, the Holy Spirit inside us, the voice that speaks to us, the voice that becomes our conscience, our guide, that is called eternity. The voice that speaks from within, I'm not talking about your own voice now, your own imagination, I'm talking about the voice of the Holy Spirit, is to remind you that something far much bigger than you ever did comprehend or could comprehend is actually living inside of you. Something that you could, you could never comprehend without the help of the Holy Spirit is actually governing in your life now. And it, now it wants to take you in a direction that you have never been. You see, Jesus said this to Peter. Peter, and it's something we'll look at in the new year. When you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself. And you went wherever you wanted. You went wherever you wanted to go. How many of us have done that? When we were younger, we're not talking about little kids now. When we were younger, we dressed ourselves the way, when you look back on some of your photographs and looked at the way some of you dressed. The fashion that you adopted, ladies, when you look at the way you used to put makeup on, yeah, guys, when you look at some of your haircuts, you look back now at the photograph, you're thinking, oh my Lord, did I dress like that? Yes, you did. And you went where you wanted to go. True? And you stayed out till all hours in the morning. Did you not? And you went with people that you should never have gone with. Doing things that you should never have done. And by the grace of God, you survived. So when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, wanted to go, you did what you wanted to do with who you wanted to do it for however long you wanted to do it. But now, as you get older, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, someone must now dress you and take you where you don't want to go. There's a change coming when eternity is your heart. There's a change coming when you no longer can dress yourself. Not because you're not capable, but the way you dress yourself, the way you hold yourself, the way you think, the way you want to appear is no longer acceptable. Why? Because it's now the Heavenly Father who must dress you. And he dresses you depending on where he's taking you. He's taking you in a different direction. Therefore, the clothes that you're wearing no longer fit. They are the garments of Egypt. The garments that you were wearing, do you, is it any wonder why Joseph had to lose his coat? I think, is it, how many times is it? 12, 13 times he changed his coat? 11, something like that, a high number. 
Joseph had to lose his coat many times. It wasn't just one coat Joseph had. Read the, the account of Joseph. He lost 11 cloaks. Why? Because every cloak symbolized a different situation in his life. And God had to strip him down. God had to redress him. Why? Because where Joseph had been is not good enough for where Joseph was going. Joseph was going in the king's palace. King's palace determined different clothes. So when you're younger, you dress what you, what you want to wear to appeal, to appeal to the people that you don't really like. Yes? But as, you're getting, as you mature in Christ, Christ now has to be the one who dresses you. Why? Because he's going to lead you into places that you do not want to go. Think about that. So if I take David, and David's going in this direction, and I arrest him on his road, David's dressed in a certain way, speaks in a certain manner, holds himself in a certain way, and the Holy Ghost arrests him and says, that's the path leading to death and destruction. But I'm going to take you on a path that's narrow, but which will lead to life. But on the way, David, we have to take those dreadful clothes off. We have to change. And, but David says, I don't want to go that way. I want Christ, but I don't want the way. Jesus said, look, the deal's this. If you want me, you've got to take my way, my, my truth, and my life. So when David says, okay, I'll submit. So when David submits, or any one of you is a David in this uh, illustration, God is going to take you on a path that you don't want to go. That is unfamiliar to you. That has trials, that has temptation, that has circumstances. Because God's got to build the inner man. If everything is sweet and plain and nice and rosy, you will never develop character. Never develop character. And it's not just character, it's godly character. Godly character leading to righteousness. Because everyone's got character. I've met a few characters. But they're not all righteous. So God's developing righteous, godly character. There's a righteousness that leads to godliness. Yes? So God has to develop that. But God is wanting to take you on a path that you don't want to go. All year we've been ministering about this path that you don't want to go. It's time, church, that if you're going to embrace destiny, you're going to embrace purpose, and you're going to embrace eternity, you have to let the Holy Ghost dress you. You have to let him take you on a path that you don't want to go. So how does that path look like? Well, I invite you to do something. Just say, for instance, you hear my voice. I'm just one voice, just one voice in your life. I'm not the only voice. I am not God to your life. I'm, a, I'm his voice. Hopefully, his voice. Now, you have to determine when there's Tony speaking and when there's God speaking through Tony. You have to determine that because it'd be wrong for me for everything I say to be God. It's not all God because I mean, God allows Tony to speak as well. God does allow Tony to speak, but God's purifying Tony so that the less of Tony's speaking, so more of him can speak. So you've got to have ears to hear what's God. What's God and what's good wisdom? Okay? Because God is trying to take us on a path that we don't want to go. He's trying to dress us for an event that we don't really want to be there. Cinders, we're going to the ball. Cinderella, we're going to the ball. So this will be a challenge to us in 2015. I'm laying that down to us. Now, that 2015 will be a time and a year where God will undress you to take you to, on a road, a path, an event that you don't want to be. You don't want to go there, I should say. But nevertheless, he will still keep coming to you to do it, to get us ready. And not too many amens. Peter did not want to go in the direction that Jesus was speaking. Because this was the Peter that said, Jesus... 
I will never, ever deny you. And that's when Jesus said to him, well, Peter, when you were younger, you know, you dressed yourself. You wanted to go where you wanted to go. But Peter, I'm now going to undress you to take you a place where you want to go. Why? Because Peter, this path for you, and this was Peter's path. I'm not prophesying this to you, but this was Peter's path led to death. Peter would be crucified. Upside down. So Peter's path led to death. Now, let me give you another startling news bulletin to your life. Your path will lead to death. Spiritual death. Because for you to allow the Holy Spirit to undress you and dress you and lead you, something has to die within you. Hello? Something has to die. You know, there's nothing worse when a child is a child and you're trying to dress the child and the, tri- the child has got a stubborn nature and it's telling you what it will and what it, what it will not wear. You ever seen that? And, you, and the kid wants to be, it, the kid's got no color coordination and the kid just wants to go out looking like a dog's dinner. And mum says, what do you look like? Mum, this is the fashion. This is the fashion, mum. Yeah? So what we've got to be careful of is, God, we've got to put the clothes down of Egypt. And we've got to allow the clothes of righteousness, the garments of righteousness, to be put upon us. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. But he works with your willingness. Amen? So I don't know if you're ready for that in 2015, but it's coming upon us anyway. Yeah? Do you know, before I met Dr. Jonathan David, I, as a young man in the ministry, I ran to and fro to different places. Looking for, I don't know, I looked for a lot of things. I don't really know what I was looking for. But I know in the center of my heart, there was something more of God I wanted. And it took me, you know, I, I went to Toronto. I went to various places. I ran here, there. I guess I wanted to know more of my destiny. I wanted to be more fulfilled. Just like you and I do in our jobs, you want to be fulfilled. So you'll change company and you'll get promotion and you'll look for better employment so that you can hopefully get some fulfillment out of life. Well, I wanted to be fulfilled in my spiritual life so I ran here, there, and everywhere, and only God knows the difference between a fool and someone who's really desirous. And, um, and there was times when I was a fool, but there was always a desire inside of me to look for something more. Because the standard that had been set inside me, the bar said, go for God, there's more of God. There's a lot more. And once I found what I was looking for, I stopped searching. Once I found the right man who could help me make that necessary journey that I needed to make based on the eternity that was set inside my heart, I stopped running around like a fool. I stopped searching. So it's like, and I liken that to when you're first looking for a partner. When you're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it's amazing the places you'll go to try and find one. True? Maybe you, maybe you need to remember. See, I'm not talking about in the West where nothing's arranged, everything's spontaneous, right? I know around the world the different relationships are planned by culture and things like that. But in the West, we know everything's game. If it's got two legs and it moves and it looks good, chase it. That's, that's the view of the West. True? That gets you into trouble and it gets you blessed at the same time. And I pursued different girlfriends. I, I never, never struggled for girlfriends. You can see why, can't you? <laughs> see why, the stallions. But you know, it didn't matter how many girlfriends I had, I never got fulfilled. And I lost a lot of money, spent money. Had a lot of fun, maybe, in those times. And then my love became football. And then I kind of got less interested in girls and got more interested in football. Football didn't fulfill me. 
Then I found women and football. Because you do get foot, you get the end of football season, don't you? So what do you do for four months? So I pursued a girl, Carol, who we went to the same secondary school, albeit she was miles of difference in age, and I waited and waited, and then we met again, and then the next thing, you know, we got 30 years. I found what I was looking for, and I stopped looking once I found what I was looking for. You stop looking for something. Why? Because you realize that there's something about what you found. Destiny and eternity is together. I realized my partner had destiny and eternity inside her. The more I got to know her, the longer we got married, the more we were married. It wasn't all evident when we first got together because our coach, we didn't have courtship. We just kind of chased each other, pursued each other. And the stronger animal always wins. And I'll let you decide who was a stronger animal. I was captured. So all I'm saying, I was captured. Captivated and captured at the same time. But you know, God is trying to put things on our path to show us what our, our destiny and our eternity looks like. He puts people, he puts circumstances, he puts situations, he puts events into our life so that he gives us a glimpse of what eternity looks like. Because eternity is going to be spent with a lot of people. Eternity is going to be spent with a lot of people. It's going to be spent with a lot of friends, hopefully. And the sad thing about eternity is some of those people that we hope would have been there and wanted to be there won't be there. And only that's why God has to be God. And if your name is not in the, written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it didn't matter how many times you came to church. Your name needs to be written by his blood in his book. And only, you know, you're more than a name. Was it? You're more than a number in my little red book, as the song used to say. Yeah, you're more than that. In God's book, if your name is in there because you followed him, not because you went to church, but because you followed him, because you allowed him to dress you, because you allowed him to take you where you didn't want to go, when that kind of character is recognized by God, he puts you in his book. And then when you share eternity, you share eternity based on that with those kind of people. And hopefully there's going to be a great cloud of witnesses up there who say, yeah, oh, you got up here as well. Great, 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 great. But where's, where was Jimmy? Do you remember Jimmy we used to hang around with? Do you remember Jimmy who used to play the tambourine in church? Do you remember Sally? who used to da da da, da, da run, run our kitchen. Yeah, where are they? They're not here. And how sad will that be? But the joy that will be in front of us will be greater than the sadness that's behind us. Yeah? Why? Because in heaven there is no mourning. There is no sadness. There's only joy. So what will stand and be, a, it's just a, what appears in front of us will be greater than what is behind us. And that's the blessed hope. And Jesus, God, the Holy Ghost, his prophets, his servants are all the time speaking so that we can get a glimpse of this eternity, what it looks like on the earth. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it's a scripture that you'll know, and certainly at this time of the year, it's the shepherds in the field. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, excuse me, that will be for the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. You can't get any clearer than that proclamation, can you? There, 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 this will be a sign to you. And you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel left them and gone into, and, um, left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem, see this king that has happened, which the Lord he has told us about. Now, if we're going to understand eternity and we're going to understand destiny, we must partner with heaven. 
Heaven is so, so important that if you are going to grasp eternity. See, one Christian, there's the difference between two types of Christians. One Christian, he comes from an evangelical background. He, has, he's, he doesn't know the Holy Ghost. He's not encouraged to move in the spirit. He's not encouraged to embrace spiritual gifts. He's basically still under law. Okay? You have a, on the other side, you have a charismatic Christian. And not because they're charismatic, I'm saying this, but you have someone who could, let's remove the word charismatic. We have a believer, still an evangelical believer, who's touched the realm of the spirit, lives in the realm of the spirit, and heaven passes through them regular. Okay? Now, the difference is, the evangelical who's not touched the realm of the spirit, all he's got to do is close his, close his eyes tight and keep his fingers crossed because he's hoping that one day he's going to see heaven. What he didn't realize is that every day he can walk in an open heaven. Yes? Now, the guy walking in the open heaven, he's touching heaven. Heaven is in the spirit. He's out the spirit. Things are coming from the heavenlies into his life. He's fully au fait with eternity and destiny. Why? Because he's touching those things that appertain to it. Yes? But the believer, he's still a believer, but he's never been exposed to the realm of the spirit. All he's, all he's got is, black, is his faith. Yes? Now, I lived in a church and went to a church that closed that realm off to me. And I was talking to people in the 70s, 80s, who just never, other than them getting saved, never had an encounter. So all those years, they were faithful, but they never touched what they could have touched. They never walked in what they could have walked in. They never felt his power. They never felt his presence. They never felt eternity working in their life every day. Because eternity is not something we wait to embrace. It's something we step in now. All of heaven is, is available to us now. And so when these guys began to hear what was being proclaimed, such an, uh, uh, this was a, such a, a moment on the earth. Look what's involved in this scripture. Everything's going on. God was given a company of people a heavenly glimpse of what they should prepare themselves for. God was giving this company of people a heavenly glimpse of what they should prepare themselves for, as this was the coming attraction. What was being announced was the coming attraction. Prepare yourself for a saviour will be born. Prepare yourself. What does that mean? I'm hearing a saviour is going to be born. What does that mean? Just follow and you'll find out. Keep listening and you'll understand. Keep your eyes open and you will step into it. So something starts with a declaration and, and this was the coming attraction. This was the coming event was going to change the earth. And God reveals it to a company of people, the shepherds. Amen. So when God's getting us ready for eternity, he keeps invading us with heaven. He has to keep invading us with heaven, glimpses of heaven. We must touch heaven. We must see heaven. We must hear heaven. We must experience heaven so that the, the eternity that's been set within us becomes clearer and more real. Yes? You see, you talk to somebody who's just been, let's go back to our illustration. Talk to the first person I said, just the evangelical, but never experienced God other than his salvation. And take the other person and go and get them to sit down with a non-Christian. Find out whose testimony will be stronger. One will tell you what did happen. One will tell you what is happening. What will happen, what can happen, what you can expect to happen. There's a difference. That's why the guy on his box in the street will shout at you. Hello? Where the guy who's experienced heaven and is experienced heaven, will come and meet the people and talk to you on a more personal basis. Why? Because the guy who's not, spoke, who's not touched heaven, all he's got is his past experience. It's, it's a powerful experience. Jesus does save. It saved him. But why don't you try and teach the people how he'll walk with you? How you walk with him? How heaven can invade? 
how you can be healed, how you can be set free, how you can be delivered, how you can live by a different wisdom. One doesn't have the technologies to go and talk to somebody, whereas all he's got is what happened to him. But the other one has got a far more depth experience and knowledge and understanding of the one he's walking with. Yes? Because we don't, listen, one of the dangers of modern Christianity is we just get them saved. But we want them more than saved, we want them walking. We want them to understand that your clothes now, you're going to have to put your old garments of Egypt to one side. We have to connect them to a relationship whereby they feel more and more comfortable, if there's ever such a word, with allowing this God to undress them. So he'll lead them on a path they don't want to go. That's discipleship right there. Would you allow somebody to undress you, except your partner? Of course not. In fact, when you go to the hospital, they say, go in that curtain and get undressed. You still undress yourself. No one undresses you. It's, it's because why? Because it's, it's something that should be kept within a marital context. Amen? It's the only time when someone will undress you unless, obviously, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're impaired, you're damaged or something like that, and somebody has to undress you. But the point is, is that no one undress you. That's something God keeps within the covenant of marriage. But the Holy Ghost is the only one who can undress you. Because you never, though you're naked, you're not exposed. Hello? Though you're naked, he never exposes you to, the, to everybody else. Because when, you, when you're naked, it, when the Holy Ghost gets you naked, you are the most vulnerable you've ever been, but you're the most safest you'll ever be. Because he protects you. This God would not allow you, would not ask you to become vulnerable and naked only for you to be laughed at. Yeah? So we have confidence. So the next thing we see is, a great company of heavenly hosts were involved. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying. See, sometimes in our church, when we really get into the realm of the spirit, the, heavens, the, the, the angels join with us. The heavens join with us. Some, have, some people have, have witnessed angels in the building. I've seen the angels in here. With us. Saw two at the back, the church. I saw the Lion of Judah coming and sit on the on the, the stage here. Just look at us all. Wow. I know the angels will are attracted to those who uphold his name. The emphasis is not seeing angels. Let's not get caught up in seeing angels. If you see them, it's because he's allowed you to see them. Angels are not the star attraction. He is. Angels announced what was coming. Angels was not the attraction. The coming attraction was Christ. He was the attraction and still is the attraction. Heaven was speaking and declaring things to them that they did not expect. A savior will be born. In fact, let's go back to verse 10. Where's it gone? But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Of great joy that will be for all the people. When heaven gets involved, it's for everyone. Great joy for all the people. When heaven speaks to us as the dream center, when God speaks to you personally from heaven, it's for you and beyond you. Amen? It's for you and beyond you. Let me just make it clear clear here. Angels, Angels will never come and talk to you. Let's make that very clear right here. When we're talking about angelic, if you're talking to angels, you're in trouble. The voice that you're listening to is not the voice of godly angels. They're demonic angels. Why? Because only the Holy Spirit speaks to us. That's why he was given to us and now lives within inside you. We don't need an angel to come and speak to us. The voice that we hear is not the voice of the Mysterons. The voice we hear is the voice of the Holy Ghost. We do not speak to angels. That's for free. So if you heard anybody saying an angel spoke to me, get out of there. 
And many people will say, we have angels who speak. We have guardian angels. I believe that. But we don't have angels that speak to us. The Holy Ghost speaks to me. So, heaven, in verse 9, was speaking and declaring things of what they should and could expect. When heaven speaks, it is to further the good news message within you. When heaven speaks, God furthers his message and his work within you. When God speaks, he furthers the work and the message that he's begun within you. So if God speaks to David today or this David or Phil, he's speaking to deepen the work that he's begun. Yes? God does not speak to you so you can have, a lot, so you can have nice new thoughts. God only speaks to you to continue what he begun. He had begun this work of getting his son to the earth. He was informing the shepherds of what had already been planned and what they could expect. He'd already planted the seed inside of Mary, already spoke to Elizabeth, already spoke to all those he needed to. He was now informing the crowd. Get ready because it's going to explode on the earth. It will affect beyond. It'll always, in other words, it'll always affect beyond you. When God speaks to you, it's so that what God, the work that God's beginning in you will affect beyond you. When I look at what God has spoke to me over the years, you are the recipient and others I speak to of what God speaks to me. It's not just sp- it speaks to me, it speaks to me for you. God sees you and your needs and speaks to me about what you need. How cool is that? Just like God will speak to you in your workplace about somebody else's need. And he'll give you the word to go and speak to them. Because that's what they need. So when God speaks, it's always beyond you. Yes? Beautiful. Here's, the, here's, here's another one for you. The moving and declaring of heaven will always carry signs on the earth. So in other words, God has made you a sign and a wonder on this earth. My mother often wondered about me a long time ago. So it was definitely a wonder before I knew what a wonder was. God has made you a sign and a wonder. Very often, God will get you in your workplace where you work and the family you're part of. God is using you as a sign to those who don't know Christ. You are the sign. And then your sign causes people to wonder. Seriously, think about this. You being the sign then causes people to wonder. What is it about this person? What makes them so different? How come they handle this situation different? Why do they stand out in a whole Bunch of people, how come I'm fixed to this person? Because God has made them a sign and a wonder to you. And that's that question that can cause, then start causing you to ask and then get on that path that they're on. Yes? So God is always making a sign and a wonder to, you know, making his people a sign and a wonder. Heaven must always be exploding through your life. See, again, going back to the illustration, the guy who just got saved, he's never had heaven explode in his life. So he's never giving people, listen, the thing about this guy is, unless his life is changing, he's never got a witness going on. All he's got is an experience that happened 30 years ago, but he's got no current fruit. Yes? But the guy who's tapping into heaven and walking under an open heaven People can see, what is it about this guy? Heaven must always be involved in your life. It's not about you, just you and Jesus. Please, please, whoever told you that's a lie. It's never about you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus on, for the sake of the world. It's always about others. So, soon as heaven begins to get involved in our lives, go to verse 15 of the scripture. When the angels had left and had gone into heaven, where did they go? Back to heaven. So heaven's, 
They're having a heavenly encounter. Heavens are open. They're just shepherds in a field. Heaven's involved. It's proclaiming. It's, it's empowering. It's speaking to them. It's giving them a hope of what they should expect. It's giving them a hope for the future. And he says, when they left, they'd gone into heaven, and the show was, event, the show was over. The event was over. He said, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. In other words, soon as heaven speaks, there should be a synergizing of strength, heart, and mind to do what heaven's speaking. Yes? Instantly, they got up and did what heaven had proclaimed to them. Only in the church do we have heaven speaking and the church not synergize its strength. What is the point of heaven speaking to us if we will not synergize? Now, the problem we have in majority of churches worldwide is that we have, a, we have, congr- we have built congregations that will, are willing to listen, but they don't know how to hear. The problem with congregations around the world is we have built a church where people feel so comfortable to sit and listen, but they feel uncomfortable to go and do. The church can never, ever expand. Heaven can never explode if the church will not get up and go with the message. Seriously, church. Seriously. If we just sit here and listen, why will God keep speaking? You know, just take the illustration of your own children. What do you do when you keep telling the kids the same thing? Come on, think about it as a parent. What do you do? It starts off with a suggestion, and then it becomes a command. Does it not? Starts off with a suggestion, becomes a command. And, the, and then what is the command backed up with? Action. Action. You see, when the world wants to bring change, it uses a method called the carrot. Go on and finish it off. Right. Now, some companies don't even use the carrot. They just use the stick. Right. We have got in the church a company of people who don't like carrots. So you can't even encourage them. But not only do they not like carrots, they don't believe God owns a stick. That's a problem. My Bible tells me, my Bible tells me, your Bible tells you in Hebrews, that what does God do to the legitimate sons in Hebrews? Thank you. How do you think he disciplines them? With a rod of correction. So God doesn't have a stick. You're right, he has a rod. And God knows how to use his rod and inflict the amount of discomfort on us to get us moving. But God's heart is never to use that. He has to use it because he loves us. And then what it does is this. When he does come to use it, it shows whether you are legitimate. Because that's the reason why he uses it, to prove your legitimacy. In other words, what <coughs> is what you profess yourself to be legitimate? Yes? You see, I can use the rod, or you can use the rod on our children. Right? Do you love your children? Right. You love them enough to correct them. Same as God. But I don't expect my child to prove his legitimacy when I'm cracking him. I know he's legitimate because why? Because we birthed him. Me and mum remember that moment. Okay? I don't think anyone snuck in behind me. So I know, I know he's mine or she's mine or they're mine. Carol knows they're ours. So when we're doing it, we're not asking to prove legitimacy. We're just trying to bring order. But our heavenly father is different because when he does it, he's seeing how you respond. Because God does not bring a stick from out of heaven. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen a stick coming from heaven? Have you ever seen a stick from coming from heaven? No. So therefore, God can't use a stick, a physical stick. So how does he do it? Circumstances. Hardship, trials. What about church government? God uses the pastor and his leadership team who see 
See where you're going. See you're not working. See how you're struggling. So guess what? You might need undressing, not dressing down. You might need undressing. Why? Because you need undressing. Why? Because you're dressing for where you want to go. That's what gets you in trouble. So when the rod of correction comes, it's because he wants to undress you and put you on a path where you don't want to go. But when you see the wisdom behind it, it's amazing. I said to you only a couple of weeks ago, three types of wisdom. Can you remember what they were? Oh, you're great retainers. Concealed, revealed, vindicated. Now I know they're bringing up a young lady. Right? You're bringing up a young teenager. Now my kids have flown the nest. Right? But you never stop raising your kids. You know that, don't you? But let's just say, let's use the two illustrations of the young ones here. They have a will. You've discovered they've got a will, right? Why have they got a will? Because you taught them. You've also got a will. They've got a will. Everybody else is teaching them. Now, you know that your will is the will that needs to be done. And you keep telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them, right? And then you're hoping one day, God will vindicate your wisdom. God will vindicate your wisdom. There'll come a time when they'll say, do you know what, Dad? You were right. And you go, Lord, why did it take 20 years? God says, you took 20 years. I, listen, I have chosen to vindicate my, uh, my wisdom in the consummation of the ages. In other words, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses and everything that's been spoken, everything that's been prophesied, decreed, has been finished, he will show the nations his wisdom. Why he did. The answer, the answer to the question it will be, if God loved the world, why does he allow all this to happen? God will vindicate his wisdom at that moment. And he will show you. And he waited for the consummation of the ages to vindicate his own wisdom. Now, you and I want our name to be cleared the moment it's attacked. True? We want, our, we want to be vindicated immediately. We want little Johnny and, and Sally, we want them to see the power of our wisdom now. Do we not? But God is willing, willing to wait to the end of the age to show you what you didn't know. Wow. And that's why it says he was vindicated by the Spirit. And God must still vindicate himself by the Spirit. And God will vindicate what you're saying with the witness that you are to the folks outside of here. God will vindicate your truth, your wisdom to them in the fullness of time. But we say, Lord, we don't want to, we don't want to be vindicated at the end of time because they, they, would have had no, they wouldn't have accepted you. We want to be vindicated now. Lord, show this person your truth. Show this person what I know, what you've revealed to me. God says, I can't because they've got a hard heart. Well, Lord, soften the heart. And then we say, well, God, you never touched the heart. God says, I could never touch this heart because it was hard. Well, Lord, show me. End of the age, you'll have to wait. There are coming attractions and there are future attractions. Only God can be God. Only God can be God. How many of you know that? Now, let's bring it down. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. Let's bear in mind that when God speaks, he is to prepare us for what's coming. Would you agree with that? So if eternity is in our hearts, God must prepare us for what is coming. Because when eternity is in your heart, there's always something coming. Think about it. If eternity is in our hearts, there's always something coming. Because if there's nothing else coming, then that's all it is. We might as well go home now. When people say, I've had the best of my days. There's nothing else to look forward to then. It's the, it's the prospect of, Today being better than yesterday and next year being better than this year, that keeps us all going, keeps us trusting. So it's the carrot. 
It's the carrot scenario. Even though you don't like carrots, God still uses carrots. Heavenly carrots. Okay? And the angels, they're not Rudolph and his reindeers. But listen to what he says. He says, I want you, if you're going to understand eternity and what is coming, just have a look at some of my creation for a minute. Proverbs chapter 30. Let's just go to verse 25 verse first. The ants are people, not strong. Now, why would he say the ants are a people? Because he's illustrating them that people can be like ants. Okay? This is what he says. The ants are a people, not strong, yet they lay up their food in the summer. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. The ants are a people, not strong, yet they lay up their food in the summer. Now, if you take an ant, it is a creature that can be crushed. Dead easy. It can't outrun you. You can't, listen, if you put you and an ant in a race, the ant is not going to win. You're going to win. One stride and you'll already be in front of it. So the ant can be crushed by human foot. Though it appears as if it's weak, it is still very useful. Yes? Why? Because it has inside its nature this working ability. It works tirelessly. But why does it work tirelessly? Because it has a perception of what needs to be done for the future. It works for its food because it knows there'll be a winter. There'll be a hibernation period. There'll be a reculling of, of, uh, of its own species. So it's built with a nature to prepare for the future. This is the ant we're talking about. Are you more valuable than an ant? Are you sure? Is your self-worth that low? So pick up at verse 24 of the same chapter. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. Just pause there for a minute. There are four things on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. Okay. Well, the ants are a people, not strong, yet they lay up their food in the summer. The conies means a rabbit. They're feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. The locusts, they have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, in bands. Then there's a lizard. He says you can seize the lizard with your hands, not that you'd want to, depending on the size of the sucker. Yet it gets, it gets in the king's palace. These are four, we would describe as four insignificant animals, creatures. And yet the Bible focuses on them. So if the Bible focuses on them, how many of you know they have an importance? Because if it wasn't important, the Bible would not put it in. So God wants us to learn the lessons. All of these creatures live with a sense of what's coming. They all live with a sense of what's coming. Can the ants speak? No. I don't know what ant language is. It sends out frequencies, pulses, or whatever it is. I don't know what rabbits do. Barry do that with a nose. Whether there's a frequency in there, I don't know. But they all seem to know what each other means. Don't they? The ant seems to know. Tell what the ant seems to do. It knows how to get a team together. It knows its direction. It, it synergizes its strength. It's significant. It can be stood on at any moment in time. But it's working nevertheless. What I like about the ant, it knows. It only know, has to look around to know that everything else on the earth seems to be bigger than him. But does it stop him? Does he feel inferior? Does he struggle with, with low self-esteem? No. You know why? Because he kind of works out that if we're all the same, there's probably a lot more self-esteem in the group than there was if I'm on my own. And he just works tirelessly. Why? Because he knows what's coming. Are you picking this up? So, they're not strong. They are little. They are feeble. They have no king. They can be seized. 
They can be taken hold of with their hands. All of those creatures, when a man comes along, he can either crush them, he has power over them, or he can hold them in his hands. And yet they all have their uniqueness on the earth. How beautiful is that? So in, if God's got the world in his hands, how small are you? So you're no bigger than the ant then, are you? Because if God could hold the world in his hands, he's holding all everything, all the creatures. No one's bigger than anybody else. God's the big one. So they prepare for what has been, but in their nature, so they, they prepare for what has been built into their nature and for what lies ahead. What do you have in your nature? What has God put in your nature? Your nature should show you, your godly nature should tell you there are things coming in 2.15, 2.16, 2.17. Why? Because your best days are not over. Your nature tells you, heaven, I still haven't touched the, the, the dimensions of heaven that I want to. I still haven't experienced all I want to see. I still haven't seen God break out in my family. I still haven't seen God break out in my work. I still haven't gone to that place where I need to be so I can really serve God with my resources, my, my abilities, my gifts. There's still more. It's not over. God's put it in our nature because eternity is calling us higher. Eternity is not meant to leave you in church, sat there wasting your days. The ant is working. The coney's finding a place in the rocks. The lizard knows how to get in the king's palace. They're all going somewhere. They're all doing something. But church people, bind us together, Lord, bind. Bind us, dear me. Wow. So, would you agree with me, church? 2015, something's coming. A lot more's coming to us than we thought. I'm, 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 I'm bigger than the ant, but I'm a wiser than the ant. You might be bigger than the ant, but are you wiser? The ant knows how to go and synergize and work with people. It knows its mission. It's very clear about its mission. Churches are not. We are the most divided bunch of people on planet Earth. We are the most divided bunch of people. Though we are collectively a part of a company of people called the church, individually, we are the most fragmented bunch on the Earth. Can you imagine if God can get us all synergizing? what we could do. Acts chapter 2 will break out. Because the wave of the glory that started in the early church, believe it or not, has not stopped. It's still on the church. It hasn't stopped. Just because you don't feel it, just because you don't sense it, just because you can't see it, can't touch it, others are getting ahead of you and are touching it. Acts chapter 2 is very much still alive. The wave of his glory did not stop. You see, it's still time to act like the rabbit, the coney. Why? Because the rock is the safest place to find yourself. The rock of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that? Seen Colossians 3 verse 3, it says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Who's the rock? Christ. You died. So if you died, is it fair to say that it's now God's legitimately entitled to undress you and redress you so he can take you on the path that you don't want to go? No, 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 no. I didn't ask you to answer me. Can you... Say that about your own life. If I am dead, and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me, am I now able to let God undress me and take me where I don't want to go? See, I could have, I could have changed that and made it a lot sweeter by saying, take me where I need to go. No, where you don't want to go is where you need to go. But if I say don't want to go, you can all identify with that. But if you say where you need to go, you may not have the full understanding. 
of where you need to go. Some people say you need to get out of here, you need to get lost. No, no, no. It's time for me to stay, not get lost. Time for me to rise up, not sit down. God has to undress you. So the question is, I'm glad you asked, who is going to undress you? Because if we said God does not put a stick from out of the earth, God does not put a stick from the skies, I've never felt, I've never driven into a stick from the sky. God uses people, circumstances, whatever, listen, whatever there's a circumstance, there's people. Whatever there's temptation, there's people. Somewhere. People, you can't remove people. So God has to work with people. You have to work with people. See, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 32, it says, For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the, deer of the, uh, like the feet of the deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a, a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. And you broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Which path does he broaden so your ankles will not turn? Not your path. His path. The path where he is undressing you and leading you where you don't want to go. There are many paths I have not wanted to go. Many paths. And yet, I'm still on a path that I don't want to go in the natural, but spiritually, I know it makes perfect sense. Yes? To do the things I've got to do this year will take me to step into a new arena. I mean, I'm leading the the Isaac guys in, 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 in uh, England, I'm not leading, I'm coordinating and bringing them together. Something I don't want to do. The moment you bring Isaac pastors together, you get all kinds of issues and stupidity. I was telling Phil yesterday, listen to this one. One of the brothers, I won't, I won't mention his name, sends, I, I sends an email out to them about our marriage in Richmond. No problem. Uh, sorry, I spoke to them first about our marriage in Richmond. They then text me two days, three days before, send me the information, I want to come. I send the information. One day later, I get an email saying this, I'm not coming. That's it, email, that's all the word said. I'm thinking, scratching my head here. That's crazy. It's crazy. So then, when I seize them next, I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I say? And they were jovial with me. I thought, okay, there's no, no animosity. Okay, kissed them, no problem. And then I sends an email out because we're meeting in Birmingham in January, bringing all the, uh, the national leaders together. And I sends his letter out, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. Gets another email response back saying, I'm not coming, brother. I'm thinking. Now, this is on me for three days. And I'm thinking... Every kind of scenario that possibly is. Do I punch his face in? Do I go down and speak with him? Because we've had to do this before, Phil and I. We know what this entails. We've had, we've had this kind of stuff before. So I'm thinking, and it's on me. And one day I felt sick about it because I wanted to revolve, uh, resolve the conflict. And I don't know how to do it. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord. So I thought, I'm going to call them. So here we go. Best voice. Hello, brother. Gets an answer machine. Leaves it on the answer machine. No response back. One day, two days, three days, no response. And all of a sudden, the phone rings yesterday. I'm thinking, here we go. So then you pause for a minute. What's the kind of voice going to be like on the other side? It's jovial. I'm thinking, confused.com, I am. So then I start talking. So he says, I didn't understand your message. You left on the phone. I said, well, my message is about my email I sent. What email? What do you mean, what email? Apparently, someone, I've sent the email, a wrong address, but someone's been responding and playing with me. 
I'm thinking it's him responding. Rather than saying, just ignoring the email and deleting it, saying, you've got the wrong address. Someone's responding. And my heart's been in turmoil. And I'm thinking, what do I do? I don't say anything. I just said to Carol, what are we going to do about this? We've got to go and sort this out. And what God's been showing me in that, he says, you know, you're so quick to assume. This is a path you don't want to be on, and you look for the quickest reason to get off it. I was ready to go. I was ready to go the way of the earth. Sack it. If that's how they feel, stuff them. Don't tell me you've not done the same thing. My transparency and vulnerability now is open. But thank God for clarity. Thank God for a phone call. That now, peace on earth to all men has now been established. But can you imagine that blighter who's been responding? So I'm going to lay hands on my mouse afterwards. I'm going to send the email back and say, we've found you out. You've been sussed. That'll be three words. You've been, that's what, yeah, you've been sussed. Or you're dead. <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> but I was looking for the quickest reason to get off the path. Do you, could you ever conceive that you might be like me? Do you think you might want to get off the path? Do you might not think that when you speak, or when I speak, and then I get that positive feedback from you, and then all of a sudden I get that email from you, not coming, brother, not coming, pastor. Because God is trying to undress me just like he's trying to undress you. Because it's not a principle spoken for me. It was a biblical principle spoken about Peter and for those who God is speaking to. God will undress us this year. God will take us on a path we do not want to go. But you must, must give him some room. You must acknowledge that there's a path you don't want to go. Wonderful. Acknowledge it. I don't want to go this way. But then the fruit of obedience will then be born in your life. So when we say things and God says things to you personally and you read certain things, remember, he's undressing you this year. We're not undressing you. He's undressing you. God is leading us all on a path because eternity is in our hearts. We will use the strength of the ant. We're smart like the, the rabbit. We'll, we, know where the rock, we know where the rock is. We'll stay in the rock, on the rock, because this house is built upon the rock. Your life must be built upon the rock. The lizard, it should be gathered up in his hand. That's a picture of your life. God must be able to gather you up at any time. Amen? So let's stand to our feet. I trust this has helped you. I hope so, because I didn't plan to say half of that. Seriously, if you look at my message, you'll see it's completely different. You see, there would have been a time when I wouldn't, there would have been a time in my life when I never would have allowed that to happen. I would have stuck to my path. But now because I've learned to feel comfortable as a minister, I'm willing to go down that path. It's a path I hadn't planned, but I'm quite happy to go down it because I can see the wisdom of God in it. So if you just, our God is strong in us. How many of you believe that? So the, the strength that we, we know we have is the strength we must go out with. Yes? So if you just raise your hands with me and say, Father... Say it to yourself, don't have to say it to me. Undress me this year. Take me down a path I don't want to go because I know, Lord, you're with me. For your rod and your staff, they're with me. It might even look like the valley of the shadow of death, but you're still there with me. And you'll lead me through the valley because it's the path I didn't want to go on, but it's a path that you're leading me through. And you promised me that you're Rod and your staff, your word, heaven will be there. The spirit of God will be there. The word will be there. Heaven's dew will be there. Leading me through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a shadow, folks. It looks like the real thing's coming, but it's a shadow. It's not the real thing. 
It's designed to get you off the path. It's designed to bring fear, but God is leading you on this path because once that fear has been broken, it can never come at you again. So this year, oh God, I know you're on my path. But oh God, I've not always been on yours. So Lord, I willingly choose to step onto your path this year. This new year, oh God. In fact, I do it now. I don't need no charms, chimes, should say chimes to ring before I set, step in. I make the decision now. The word comes, I step into it now. I step into your will, your sovereign will, your divine will. Father, you will vindicate your wisdom in my life. You will reveal and you will conceal your wisdom as you've always done. But, oh God, you will reveal more and more this year as I step on the path of obedience. So right now, oh God, I invite heaven to make fresh announcements, fresh declarations over what is coming. A savior has been born. A son was given. A king arose. Now it's the time of the servant. Now it's the time of the servant to rise up and serve his master. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.